Hey everyone, and welcome to the Forget the Funnel podcast, where our goal is to help you as a SaaS leader finally stop guessing, understand your best customers, and drive more predictable recurring revenue. On today's episode, Claire and I sat down to discuss a topic that pretty well underpins everything we do here at Forget the Funnel, understanding customers. More specifically, we talk about the consequences of trying to grow revenue and your customer base based on a weak foundational understanding of what really matters to your customers and how it is that teams find themselves in this situation in the first place. We talk about signs that you and your team might be operating with less insight than they need to make good decisions and how you might be unknowingly contributing to the problem. And yep, we talk about resistance to customer research too. We also share a story of a team we worked with who came into the market with one understanding of their ideal customer and the shifts in the market that led them to reevaluate everything about their messaging and their marketing. But before we get into it, a quick message. For well over a decade, Claire and I have been helping teams at companies like Bitly, Wistia, Postman, Linktree, Invoice Simple, Sprout Social, and Autobooks stop guessing, gain more clarity around what matters to customers, and dramatically improve conversions. In 2019, Claire and I developed the customer-led growth framework that to date has helped thousands of founders, marketing, and product leaders get out of the weeds, think more strategically about their product marketing, and meaningfully impact revenue growth. And we wrote a book about it so that you can too. Rather than a toolbox, this book gives you a system to follow so that you can choose the tools that are actually right for your company, your team, and your customers. This book will help you make better decisions about what to implement, when, and how. And once you're done with the book, there's a 110-page workbook that'll help you connect the dots between learning customer-led growth and implementing it within your company. Before you waste another minute or dollar frantically taking action, and if you're honest, guessing, search for Forget the Funnel on Amazon and grab your copy of the paperback, ebook, or audiobook. We wanted to start a podcast for a number of reasons, but at the core of it, we know that we have an opportunity to help leaders within SaaS companies help their teams finally stop guessing, understand their best customers, and drive more predictable recurring revenue, predictable being a major point of that. So in this particular episode, let's talk about this problem that's at the core of the guessing and the lack of predictability around recurring revenue. Yes, I would say pretty well, maybe not 100% of the companies, but I think I've landed on the number of 97 out of 100 of the companies <laughs> that come to us have a sort of misalignment or misunderstanding of who their best customer is. There are a few exceptions to that, but they are very rare. The vast majority of companies that we talk to either know they don't know who their best customer is anymore, or they, in some cases they don't actually know. That's their issue. And they say things like, we've had slowed growth, or it's unpredictable, or it's been inconsistent, or it feels like pushing a boulder up a, a hill, or mm -hmm. um, things are harder than they need to be, or that they, they believe that it should be. And they say things like leads and marketing. A favorite of mine is we are trying to scale marketing in so many different ways, but nothing is really moving the needle on revenue. And I remember having this conversation with you a couple of years ago where actually somebody asked us, like, what's the typical aha moment when you're in an initial conversation with a founder? And I was like, it's when I ask them, so tell me about your customers. And they sit back and answer in 
really confusing ways. They'll talk about, they'll say, they'll use generic terms um, that we all love to pick on. Oh, small businesses businesses. (laughs) or marketers or CEOs or it's really the CFOs or the CTOs or whatever. And they describe their ideal customer, their target customer in these sort of very broad terms. And I'm like, okay, so tell me about, and again, this is just like my conversations with these founders, but tell me about like what leads somebody to seek out a solution like yours. If you had to describe the day or guess what that day was like for your customers and they're like, no idea. I don't know. Some companies have a solid guess, but the vast majority though, just really have no idea. And they're like, you know what? I don't actually know. And that is probably a problem. I'm like, yeah, it's a problem. And so we end up finally getting to the real crux of the conversation that we need to have, which is we need to find out who those ideal customers are because you can throw all the marketing in the world at this thing. But if you don't actually, and your team doesn't actually have a solid understanding of what your customers are trying to accomplish, then like nothing else matters. That has to be fixed before you start investing anything more in marketing. Okay. Sometimes people know they have the problem, potentially when it's been in a conversation like that we're having initially, or because we now have the book out there, it's happened more than once now that someone has been like, I read your book and I realized this was at the core of our struggles, which is great. But like, let's talk about the outcome of essentially not solving for that or not knowing that's the problem. Like what they might be seeing inside the, mm-hmm. their business. Or the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. Holy moly. I mean, you were, um, naming a, you were naming a couple, right? You were naming like growth is a little bit inconsistent or yeah. driving all of this top of funnel activity, but we're still not seeing it impact like our revenue or people are churning out. But I'm also wondering if you can speak to what this looks like for the team. Again, not to use the word foundational, but it's such a foundational issue that it will affect all of the teams, but it'll affect them in slightly different ways. I guess marketing is probably the most obvious, especially for us to to speak to in terms of how it impacts things. Marketing is the thing that is often looked to, or that team is often the team that's looked to, to solve for growth. And I say that anybody with a a product on a product team would be like, yeah, right. Like it's totally always products look to that. So I know that a lot of product teams are also looked to for growth as well, which is totally fair. But when product hits the inevitable, I don't want to say roadblocks, but Product can only operate as quickly as the technology will allow in many cases, right? There are engineering restrictions and uh, limitations and timelines that are often outside of the product team's control, definitely outside of the marketing team's control. So oftentimes marketing is looked to just fill that gap. If we bring more leads through the front door, we'll get more signups, even if our conversion rates are not ideal or we know they could be better as long as we're bringing in more volume through the front door, then we'll get more trial signups, more activation, more engagement, more mm-hmm. actually signing up and paying for the product. So marketing is often looked to fill the gaps in mm-hmm. growth because mm-hmm. later on, marketing is right. It, marketing feels like the kind of thing that you can throw money at, right? I remember having that thought when I was feeling pressured by my CEO and I was in house. I was like, I could throw money at this problem. We can throw money at this. No problem with it. We can just throw ads. When we eventually had a sales team, we can throw outbound strategies at this. There's guerrilla marketing tactics that we can employ if we really, really want to. We can get really, really loud if we want to. 
it is absolutely possible to throw money at marketing. The problem is when it is at an unhealthy scale and leaves the sort of the marketing team flailing around trying to do everything that they can to hit targets month over month without addressing the more foundational stuff. It can be really stressful to be inside of a marketing team of a, of a, of a, a company that, or, or I should say like, you know, a, a SaaS product that has churn issues, yeah. activation rates are lower than they should be, positioning and messaging hasn't been locked in or, or really nailed. That's a really hard mm-hmm. thing to market. That's really high pressure. And there's all kinds of reasons. And we've talked about these before, like the problem with SaaS marketing, which was the origin of of Forget the Funnel. There's all those problems too, right? Where mid-career marketers struggle to manage up in environments Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of pressure to grow and the leadership team has unrealistic expectations of marketing because at the core, many CEOs don't understand marketing. And in what you're describing, the responsibility of marketing becomes overcome the product gaps that we're still working to solve, which is very high pressure responsibility. And something that you brought up about teams flailing, we were chatting with someone who runs a SaaS product, and it was during a talk that Joanna Weeb was giving about the importance of copy and understanding who you're writing for in your copy. And someone raised his hand and he was like, I reached the conclusion that For my customers, it doesn't matter because I A-B tested two different headlines and nothing changed. And to me, that was such a perfect example of like, yeah, duh, because you have no fucking idea what you're supposed to write. Like, you're just making it up. Um, And he was like, (laughs) I'm not criticizing this person as an individual, but I think it's such a, it was such a good example of someone not realizing that the foundational problem is they don't know who they're speaking to. And so they're just trying tactics at random because somebody said A-B tested because somebody said, oh, you should focus on conversion rate optimization. And anyway, I it when you said flailing, I thought back to that person and I was like, yeah, that's a good example. We could talk about the product team and the and the customer success team and the sales team and, uh, you know, especially the leadership team. But at the end of the day, they're somewhat similar. I think what I've seen happen inside of product teams is that they unfortunately get stuck in the testing and experimentation cycle, like you're describing. And this happens to marketing too, like you just described. And it's not that testing and experimentation are inherently bad. And I know that we say this all the time and we like want to make sure that everybody understands. Don't think that experimentation and A-B testing is a bad thing. It's a great thing, but it's a great thing to layer on top of a foundational understanding. And what we're talking about here is that foundational understanding isn't there. And so mm-hmm. to spend time and resources, like serious resources, optimizing your product onboarding, for example, without that understanding of what your best customers are actually trying to accomplish, you are throwing money in the toilet. <laughs> it, it is just straight up a waste of time if you don't have that foundational understanding. The unfortunate part, and I mentioned this already, is that many companies show up not knowing that they don't have that foundational understanding. They don't know that it doesn't have to feel like pushing a boulder up a hill. Right. So anyway. Especially going back to people who got into SaaS early or midway through their career and don't have the experience of like what it would look like to to operate with with that knowledge. Um, I want to transition over into 
some of the reasons this happens. And I think one that's very common and is nobody's fault is that sometimes the the founding team of a product were their ideal customer originally, mm -hmm. but over time, who they serve has broadened or the product itself has increased capabilities from when it first started out. And so it now fills the needs of, of many other types of people. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but like speaking to a, a CEO or, or someone within the founding team, they may have like a decent guess at who that person is, but it hasn't been documented anywhere. The team doesn't necessarily know it. And so it's just kind of this like legacy knowledge from, you know, however many years ago. That I know can be a real reason. Like, why are some other reasons that this this foundational understanding isn't reached? <laughs> the elephant in the room, definitely, that I know we're going to get to at some point is there's a resistance to research. And I think there's so many reasons for that. And I know that we're going to talk about that in more detail mm -hmm. at some point. But there's also the, there's a resistance to doing research again. Um, so I think inherently, like, especially product-focused founders, they know that research is wildly important, especially when you're starting a company. Um, you have to validate and you have to, you know, to, in order to get that level of confidence to even build your product or continue building your product, the vast majority of founders and, and you know, definitely product managers know that research is critically important. And as you were saying, when you're starting a company doing customer development research like that, that's not the issue here. They have a solid understanding of who their best customers were when they when they were building their product or bringing their product to market for the first time. But the thing that often changes is that, well, first of all, time goes by um, mm -hmm. and the product evolves as they do. As does the market. And some products evolve very, very quickly. Like depending on what, you know, the, depending on your business, you may have a product that evolves very quickly. You might have a really active product team and engineering team that are pushing changes in the product and new features very, very quickly, which means whatever that solid understanding was of your best customer when you first launched the product has completely changed. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, like the market, hello, <laughs> like what year are we? Even just three years ago, totally different world. A year ago, totally different world. The world in which people are making decisions in terms of technology that they are now accustomed to having a customer experience that they're now accustomed to having the SaaS market itself not to bring it AI into this, but like that's changed things. <laughs> but we have right? to be on <laughs> Yes, exactly. But also the economy, which I know is what you were alluding to, right? There are economic factors of like COVID and like more recently layoffs, you know, all kinds of budget restrictions that have been introduced more recently have all impacted. As you're saying that, I'm, I'm realizing I, I meant that I meant market in two ways. Um, one, the economic factors that someone is making a buying decision within, but also the competitive market in which your product exists. So um, something that we have worked with more than one company on is the challenge they're facing when they were relatively early in their space and they had if not yes. the first mover advantage, they had an early mover advantage. And as that category has become more solidified and the people they serve have become more aware that it's a category, copycats or improved versions of that product have popped up. And now they're like, wait a minute, where are all our customers going? And also, why are there like three or four different competitors who essentially have the exact same headline on their website that we have? 
So yes, like both the market in which your product exists, so the competitive landscape, and also, yes, like the economic factors that that drive your best customers buying decisions. Expectations, right? Customers' expectations have also yeah. shifted dramatically, obviously in the last 10 years, but in the past five as well, and more recently, again, because of AI, customers' expectations have risen, <laughs> shall we say. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, Salesforce did a study. I'm going to misquote this stat and we should probably find it, but it was like, <laughs> 80% of B2B buyers will switch companies for a better customer experience because they expect a more consumer-like experience. Nobody wants to use a product that feels like it was built in the 90s or like the <laughs> early 2000s, right? As desk jockeys, we spend all of our time in software and we don't want to spend time in software that we hate. Um, yep. And too often we have to. And so where there are opportunities where we don't have to, we don't want to do that anymore. And and customer support comes into that. And what else can you do for me? Um, kind of offerings outside of even the product itself, like the support team or or customer education material or whatever. There's a lot of mm -hmm. SaaS has upped their game in the last few years. And if you haven't, then you probably don't have as unfair of an advantage like you were describing that you did when you first as you did when yeah, when the, the category you you operate in was less saturated totally yeah yeah and we are all consumers of software as you said as desk jockeys and I, you and I can both speak firsthand to the experience of getting into a product for the first time and having very little patience for cool. <laughs> none do I. Yeah. Is this really worth yeah. me wasting time like in the busy day that I have to like figure out if this is going to work for us or make our lives easier? Yeah. Let's end on something more positive. So this, this actually goes back to the idea of a company having early mover advantage. I'm not going to say first, but early mover advantage. Right. And then coming to us because their space had become very crowded. Um, so and very funded a, mm -hmm, and very well funded. Very right. Yeah. So yeah. a, an employer of record company, aka like a bridge, if, if you run a business in one region or country and you want to hire, not contract, but like put on, on payroll people in other countries, this will help you do that without having to set up entities all over the world. There's a a terrible hiring platform. Global hiring. And they had come to us because they were like, we were cruising. But now that there's been a, a global pandemic, like there's all these very well-funded versions of the solution we offer that are coming up and we're not really sure how to navigate this. So can you remember what we learned about the types of customers that were coming to them? Yeah. Maybe it would help to start with who they thought their target customer was. So they started out and had been running their business and had great product, great looking website, very polished. They were not amateurs at this. They were doing a good job. And you're, you're reminding me also back to the founding team thinks of themselves as the ideal customer. The founding team, deep, deep expertise in like the human resources Very. space, like yes. really knew their shit. But they believed that their target customer cared as much about compliance as they did, as they all did. of those rules and all of the nuance. There's so much to know this research, but they were like, these are our target customer are companies who are growing and expanding and wanting to hire talent outside of their local market and wanting to know that they were hiring right. So they're like, these are in-house recruiters and HR teams that are thinking about 
a happy, healthy company culture and making sure that we're by the book. And compliance was a word that was used a lot. So they believed that was their best customer were these companies that were doing global hiring and expanding their talent full beyond their local market and compliance, wildly important. And they knew that like location and, and country was also really important. And um, what we learned was actually their customers, their happiest customers, and a great opportunity for them too, were these companies that actually had one key hire Mm-hmm. that they wanted to make. They had one person in their mind's eye. So if we go back in time a little bit, and I don't know if you were just about to say this, but like basically these companies were like, I need this one person. Either I've been working with them on a contract basis and I want to bring them on full time, or we found this and we opened our hiring pool up to the world. And we found this amazing candidate, but they're in France yeah. and we're in the US and we have to have them. Like, we have to have this person. We cannot lose this person. And so they go out into the world and try to, so how do you hire in France? And I want to like do that type of thing. There was one other one. And this was, this was very, at the time, COVID driven, but now is, is extremely common, which was, we had this, this key player on our team and they have, they're relocating to a new country and they don't want to go on contract. They want to remain on payroll. It's like, shit, what do we do? They're moving to wherever. Like, how do I, how do I keep them employed? So yeah, so it was not, to create some contrast, it was not these teams who were thinking super strategically. It was people who were very reactive and who were like, I got to get this person employed like ASAP because they're moving or we don't want to lose them in the hiring process or whatever. Yep. And so they were just looking for a a solution that they, right. we, we referred to it in the work as like the don't make me think types of customers. Yeah, yeah compliance was important, but they weren't going to be like reading the fine print. Yeah. They, they didn't wanted have to know that it was going to be done right. Yeah. But yes, they did, they, it was very important that it was done right. Obviously, it was critical that the country be mm-hmm. available and that they had the confidence that compliance was going to be met. But it was like, I need to do this quickly and I don't want the details. Just make yeah. this happen for me. Yeah. I remember one of the interview transcripts had a quote in it that was like, I did not start this business to get a degree in human resources law, like, or something like that. Like, they had to know that it was trustworthy, but like, please don't give me all those details. Just tell me that you're going to do it right. <laughs> yeah. So the the outcome of that, and thank you for drawing that contrast because that like stark difference between those two, but the outcome of that, as you can imagine, dramatically impacted not only their messaging and how mm-hmm. they sort of positioned and messaged their product on their website, but also the marketing opportunities available right. to them. Their opportunities to meet the market where they are. But in particular, we went back to their homepage and we're like, so now that we've learned this, how are we all feeling about the messaging on the website? Yeah, (laughs) that's it. And it was very obvious that, oh shit, we've been focused on not only the wrong sort of messaging strategy and hierarchy of messaging, but also how we introduce our product. And what our expectations are of our customers as they onboard into the product and how much how much emphasis we need to be putting on like speed and yes, compliance, but also don't worry, like we got this kind of messaging in yeah. the how they introduce the product. So really, really stark contrast in terms of like messaging position, but also marketing opportunities that opened up to them, which is a, a, a separate discussion for sure. But yeah. yeah, a big difference between before and after it. And that's it for this episode of the Forget the Funnel podcast. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you have any questions about the topics we covered, don't hesitate to contact Gia or myself on LinkedIn. And you can also visit our website at forgetthefunnel.com. This is still a new podcast for us. So ratings, reviews, and subscriptions in your podcast platform of choice make a huge difference. See you next time.